one box combo, please. That's four juicy chicken fingers. We'll start cooking. Garlicky butter Texas toast tastes as good as it's looking. Fresh coleslaw and crispy fries you won't be skipping. And our secret cane sauce you want to keep dipping. Plus, our lemonade or iced tea made fresh today by me. Yo, 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 here's your chicken to go. Wow, that was fast. Raising Cane's chicken fingers, one love. <laughs> Welcome back to WWF The Legacy Series. This is May 2nd, 1987. It's Saturday night's main events. Thank you for tuning in. It is early Saturday morning as we record. I was just telling Ms. Fan I went outside to get groceries and I had to first remember that there is an outside and then it was raining and it was as if I had never experienced rain before, my friend. We are in uh, the times that we are in, but I am grateful that once a week, Ms. Fan and I get to sit down, we get to talk about professional wrestling that is readily available, and we get to communicate with you. We are fresh off WrestleMania 3, the game changer that it was. We got a lot of feedback on last week's show. I was just listening to a Lex Luger interview from 2019, just waiting to record the show. And I had never realized that Lex Luger was still playing football when he became a professional wrestler. But being the money guy that he was, he said, I realized they sold out the Pontiac Silverdome and I thought there might be some money in this. So Luger goes to ask about wrestling in his uh, off time just for an off season thing and never goes back to football. You know what did that? WWF did that. You know what did that? WrestleMania 3 did that. You know what did that? 1987 did that. We are at an apex in this thing. And now it's Saturday night's main events. Now it's after WrestleMania 3. And if you think an event can be historical with everything on the line and there not be fallout and there not be consequences, my friend, you are wrong. Andre the Giant is not giving up that undefeated streak. Bobby Heenan is not giving up that opportunity to be the manager of a champion to destroy Hulk Hogan. Yes, WrestleMania 3 is over, but the consequences, the fallout, the reset, we don't just hit the button and go new, my friend. There is fallout, and that's what Saturday Night Main Event is all about. It is total nonstop action chaos before there ever was a TNA, and we're going to get into it. I am the mystic. I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed to the dust of WrestleMania 3, which is settling over everything. An event this large has a huge impact and is thrown uh, all sorts of implications up into the air, and now they are crashing down all over the WWF, all over these colorful characters that we love to talk about. It is Saturday's night's main event, and uh, I am excited to talk about it. Absolutely. We will get into it. It's also a night where Hulk Hogan and Andre will be reduced 
in this episode, so you're going to get to see a lot of stars who are not the main event, uh, the Hogan Andre stars. You're going to start to see, I believe, I believe, the emergence of Randy Savage on a different level of a Randy Savage that's going to culminate in the next year or two, and you're going to see a lot of feuds develop or continue. So, uh, getting into this, anything that stands out to you as we get into this episode, Ms. Fan? As you say, this is uh, maybe the start of a turning point for Randy Savage, although as we will see, it is not uh, exactly a turn Mm -hmm. as we would understand it. But the nice thing about 1987 is things can take a long time, and they are allowed to do that, and they are allowed to develop as they need to. There is no pay-per-view next month that we have to rush forward to the, the idea of another pay-per-view is so far away, I don't know if they even thought about Survivor Series, which will be debuting all the way in November. And this is May, so that's six months away, if they're even thinking about it. Right now, it is just time to let things develop as they may in the aftermath of one of the most successful events in wrestling history. This is why it's so hard to compare wrestling across eras, because we all have our biases, our subjectivities, but at the same time, like there are economical reasons why we will get monthly pay-per-views. But for someone who's never going to prefer that, like it's hard for me to even have these conversations because you're not necessarily better booking just because you're longer booking. But there is something for my fandom that the day after we're not automatically trotting down the champion, whether they kept the belt or lost the belt hitting the music of someone new, starting a feud that will expire in 30 days, and then doing it again. Absolutely. You know, you can come up on a show and not be saying, hey, we're three weeks away from Backlash yes. or whatever it is, you know. It's like, okay, we can talk about that later because it is later. It's not uh, on our doorstep already, and I think there's definitely value to that. Somewhere in my notes I say that it's not just – larger than life characters but it's also longer storylines and feuds and those things married together that's really getting it done for me right now because whether it's tito santano and uh tito santana and uh, danny davis or it's macho man randy savage and uh, uh george Steele, it's hulk hogan and bobby heenan these things are years in the making and you cannot fake kind of that enthusiasm if you're invested in something it goes on one or two years. It's just not the same as something that's going on one or two weeks. It just can't be. Uh, absolutely. Um, Tony Schiavone gets made fun of, and rightfully so, I think, uh, in WCW for uh, eventually talking about, oh, everything is the greatest night in the history of our sport. But there was a pressure in that era to make every night the greatest night yeah. to to make every night shocking and memorable and stand out and it was not sustainable and uh it's nice in a counterintuitive way to get mm. into an era and be invested in an era where hey nobody nobody is going to be like the May 2nd Saturday night's main event is greater than WrestleMania you know no one they won't try yeah. to say that because they know it's not true it, it is what it is supposed to be which is a good show that continues these feuds, that keeps you interested, but it, it doesn't have to try to be on the level of WrestleMania 3 because it's ridiculous to try to have WrestleMania 3 every day. It can't happen. 
Uh, and you never have the temptation, uh, Hogan Goldberg style. To well, should, maybe we should have Hogan Andre be Saturday Night's main events, and uh, uh, WrestleMania three could be Hulk Hogan versus uh, Hercules, and <laughs> you know we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. Right, right. So yeah, this is this is just a pleasure to be in this era. If you follow the show, we talked about Saturday Night main events. Right now, starts with promo after promo after promo. So we're going to get that rapid fire uh, start, and it's never, the pace is never going to slow down. Uh, we get a video. Randy Savage is still calling Miss Elizabeth his manager in some kind of uh, caveman, I think, type way of thinking that if he doesn't acknowledge her as a woman or a human being or someone who could be in relationships, then nobody might not catch on, and he can keep doing what he's doing. And so we get Savage doing his thing. He says only one man will survive, and it's the macho man. Um, Heart Foundation um, are up here. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is up here. Bobby Heenan, Hulk Hogan, all in these promos. Absolutely, and I got to shout out, Bobby Heenan is wearing a neck brace, which is very significant to fans of the brain. Uh, We will find out exactly why that is uh, just very shortly in the show. So uh, I have plenty to say about that. Yeah, and Andre has a beard, and he is very upset about uh, this whole fallout. He says, I am the champion, and Hulk Hogan says, Hulkamaniacs know who won. So Hulk Hogan, again, dividing the world quite uh, strategically to his own advantage. Uh, we go in Jesse Ventura, Vince McMahon on the call. Jesse Ventura tells him, I might just let you keep your job, Vince McMahon. So, yeah, good stuff. And then we, we hit the video that you mentioned, so... Uh, what happened to Bobby Heenan and his neck? Well, uh, let's go back first a little ways just to talk about a guy named Ken Patera, who we probably mentioned at some point in this series, but probably only very briefly. Ken Patera is a very longtime associate of Bobby Heenan. Uh, it was managed extensively in uh, AWA, managed uh, for a while in the WWF, uh, but then Ken Patera... If you don't know the story, ended up having to go to jail because he and Mr. Saito threw a boulder through a window of a McDonald's when they couldn't get served what they wanted or some (laughs) such thing. It's a a ludicrous story that feels like it can only happen to some coked out pro wrestlers. So here we are. Um, Ken Patera has returned from prison. He is welcomed back into the WWF. And curiously, this allows him to turn face don't ask me why going to jail would turn you into a face, uh, but really it's opposing Bobby Heenan that turns you into a face, and a damn popular one at that. Um, Patera and Heenan have conflict. They set up uh, a debate, if you will. Uh, I don't know why the world's strongest man would be drawn into a debate, but uh, we get to the see... The brain. <laughs> the brain, indeed, suckered him into it, but the brain did not account for Ken Patera's debating tactics because uh, I have to go, because they don't show the whole thing here. Uh, There's a whole segment to this. And I'll never forget, it's the strangest thing. When it comes time for Bobby Yannon to speak, he starts talking and they just like bleep out a huge portion of what he says. And when it comes back, the crowd is like going nuts. And it's like, what the heck did he say just then? Um, 
So to this day, I don't know exactly what he was saying, but it was something quite infuriating because as we see in this clip, uh, it comes to blows. Heenan loses his cool and tries to go after Ken Patera, only for Ken Patera to absolutely break his freaking neck by wrapping a belt around it and then whipping him around the ring. It's an unbelievable visual and an unbelievable bump by Bobby Heenan. Uh, and, of course, all Vince McMahon could say is that Heenan lost the debate. So that tells you all you need to know about the uh, rules for debating in the WWF. <laughs> yeah, because to me, when I hear that, you can like Bobby Heenan or not like him. You can agree with him or disagree with him. But the man is out there debating a professional wrestler and takes that kind of abuse for 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 his view and his opinion. <laughs> you know, I can't help but, you know, feel for Bobby Heenan in that and not the uh, pro wrestler who is abusing the guy who he's supposedly verbally debating with. So it's just, it's complicated times in 1987. Yep. That's so, more evidence okay. that uh, if you're a heel and you say or do one wrong thing, then the face will have a uh, carte blanche to do absolutely anything short of murder and maybe murder too and get away yep. with it. And they get to define what's out of bounds. So <laughs> you're going to be out of bounds no matter what you do. And I think, that's why you get a Bobby Heenan like this who doesn't wait to be told. Like Bobby Heenan is on the offense. So it's an interesting moment because Hulk Hogan will be on the defense. You know, yeah, I know I actually won the match and, you know, but Bobby Heenan's on the offense saying, I want Jack Tunney. I want, I want an investigation. I, I don't care. He needs to be stripped of the belt or he needs to defend the belt again. So this is a guy who knows that no matter what, I'm going to get the short stick. So I am going to, uh, say my piece. I am going to stand up for what I believe in, and I think the, these these awful rules of of '87 really empower Bobby Heenan. That he you can call him a weasel all day long, but this is a man who, for whatever beliefs he has, he's standing up for them. That's true. He can stake his claim, and uh, well, don't stake it too hard, or someone will try to break your neck with a belt. But you know, he yeah. won't be deterred. He is he is making it through. He is persisting. So. You have to give him credit for that. I, I hope I, I don't remember exactly how long it lasts, but he wears his neck brace for a long time. And yeah. uh, at first, um, he's selling like on this show, he's selling it very genuinely, uh, which is great. But all too soon, um, it will just become another prop for him to uh, mm. use to his own advantage, and we'll get great stuff on primetime wrestling where he brings in, like, his own personal doctor, who's this weird nice. quack, and Monsoon brings in a real doctor <laughs> to, like, prove there's nothing wrong with him anymore. And it's this great saga. So Heenan with the neck brace, uh, that is something that I will always hold in high regard. Absolutely. I bet CM Punk believes Bobby Heenan's doctor has more credibility than Gorilla Monsoon's. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe right. Maybe right. So we go to um, Kamala is making an appearance on this show. And I got to tell you something. If you follow WCW, the Legacy Series, WWF, the Legacy Series, at first I was just having fun with it. But, you know, there's all these guys who, in the times that they existed, were only going to be booked however they were going to be booked. Really, Gante is seven feet, seven inches, and, you know, never expect him to speak or think. He's just He just has a claw, and he uses his claw. And Big Josh is a lumberjack, and he's he, he has bears. And Kamala, there are these talents to me who are very endearing, 
very charismatic, uh, very captivating, and I like to imagine that they could have been a whole lot more. And Kamala is in that group, and sometimes I was joking, because as a kid, maybe I didn't see that. But man, I'm going to tell you, I saw it today. I think this is one of Jake Roberts's, uh, the one of the better Jake Roberts appearances, matches that we get. And we, we this whole match is, is pitted on. Uh, Mr. Fuji was born uh, in the year of the snake, so it doesn't matter that Kamala is terrified by snakes. He can lead Kamala to victory. And for Jake Roberts' part, his snake told him that he wanted to have the match, not Jake Roberts. And Bobby Heenan says, well, why would a snake want to have a match? And he says, why don't you ask him and puts the snake in Gene Erklin's face? <laughs> so that is that is the, the actual build for the match. And I want to tell you, my favorite thing almost in this entire show is hopping Kamala. Kamala's going to be afraid. The snake's going to be let out of the bag before the match, which, in my opinion, that's not right. But Jake Roberts is going to do it. And so Kamala's going to start hopping around. He's going to roll out of the ring, and then he's going to come back sneaking up on Jake Roberts. Because if you take the snake out of the bag, you also lose time when you have to put the snake back in the bag. Great psychology, not from Jake Roberts on that one, but from Kamala. <laughs> Kamala, master of psychology, absolutely. <laughs> yes. He also, we'll get to uh, HBK in the Intercontinental title reign, but Kamala throws a kick as good as I see HBK. So, there you go, with the, the sweet chin music of Africa, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's about to the gut, but, you know, that doesn't have to be to the to the chin. You know, that is such, that's such a privilege of folks who can lift their legs high. <laughs> Kamala's, Kamala's leg kick is just as effective. Yep, absolutely so. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot going into this one. Uh, we do have Mr. Fuji running around. He's got the face paint on, and I I don't know if we've seen Demolition yet or not, but uh, that mm. face paint definitely brought them to mind, so we're looking forward to them showing up. Um yeah, Fuji, you're the snake. Uh, he understands the snake. He tells us he's going to help Kamala. He makes some weird hand motions that, I don't know, are somehow demonstrating that he makes, that uh, he knows the snake or something. I don't know. There's a great narrative that I want to explore in here that okay. in canon, not just something that we, you know, sometimes we unearth things and we think they're true, but maybe they weren't the intention. I, I think there is a real narrative that Mr. Fuji is the worst manager, um, not in terms of being entertaining, because I think he's very entertaining, but of all the managers, he makes the dumbest decisions, he fails the most, and of course it doesn't matter, a manager in this era can uh, fail anything, as long as he's entertaining, but I, I really want to keep an eye on Fuji, and the decision he makes, and the clients he takes, and the reasons he takes them, if we know him. I'm very interested in that. I will say that my heart already breaks because, like, everything in my life, you can legit be the worst manager of all time and never do anything right. And the one time you do is you always get over on Lex Luger. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Man, we're, we're going to be with Fuji for a long time. Yes. Wow. We will. All right. He gets, he gets the best of Luger twice. So. <laughs> That's a, and that, that's not an argument that he's not the worst manager of all time. That is, that's a different argument. We will examine that narrative as we go. Um, 
Jake, indeed, is still dealing with the injury he got from the Honky Tonk Man. They show the clip from February where he got hit with the guitar, and I want to say two things about that. One, I don't think we mentioned it before, but one reason, perhaps, that these Jake matches have been less entertaining is I believe he sustained a fairly serious injury off of that guitar shot, which he did not take time off for, or not very much, so that could account also for uh, some of these matches being a little below par. So we'll have to keep an eye and see if he improves. Uh, the other thing is I really appreciate that that segment still matters three months later. They're still showing yep. the clip. They're talking about it. You know, it's still something that happened. It hasn't been erased from history. So that's something I appreciate. Yeah, Honky hits him full on hard enough to break the guitar, but not with the part of the guitar that's supposed to break. <laughs> yeah, it's not a Jeff Jeff. That's an ugly thing. Yeah, that's an ugly shot. Uh this one, you know, like I said, I think the pace is better is what I like. Mm. I think some of these Jake matches to me where it's super slow the whole time and they keep like coming together, then going apart, and nothing ever seems to be happening. But this one, at least, like to me, the pace is kind of quick and consistent throughout the match. Yeah, and it helps always with a Jake match, I think, if there's like some particular thing to sort of hang your hat on. And here, like you said, it's the snake. Kamala's afraid of snakes because, fortunately, every heel is just... Uh, pee their pants terrified of snakes in this era, which is very lucky for Jake. Uh, makes his strategy <laughs> yes. a very good one. Um, but yes, just Kamala sees the snake and he leaps out of his damn skin because he's so afraid of it. And uh, it's yeah. great. And they can build the whole match kind of around this idea. And uh, that, that helps it work pretty well. You know, it's not an amazing match, but uh, it's it's a perfectly solid match. It's an amazing match and a perfectly solid match. That is high praise. Uh, I say it's not uh, amazing. It is solid. Oh, not amazing. Okay. Okay. So it's not a solid match, but it's amazing? Uh, no. Uh, other way around. It's all right. It, the match is whatever you want it to be. It's yeah. however your uh, self-sense It's your imagination. <laughs> I think one thing that's true, and you brought it up in such a good point, though, is in this era, and I've talked about um, kind of space element where the – You've got this whole larger-than-life super, supernatural. It's like everyone can be more than human, but then they are su more subject to be afraid of what might be more than human. And we will see kind of that break. I think the perfect uh, illustration is when the character of this era, the ultimate warrior, uh, is subject to the voodoo of Papa Shango. But Bret Hart doesn't believe in that stuff, and so he's not affected by it. And that's, that, to me, is almost a like the cleanest break you can get from the era that we are in to the era that's coming next. That is a deep analysis of a very silly thing. I like it. <laughs> I really like it. <laughs> Thank you, I think. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, a thing going on in the uh, LOP forums, uh, WWF The Legacy Series, where two of our uh, listeners have now stated that Jesse the Body Ventura is indeed a better commentator than Bobby the Brain Heenan. I think we're two to zero uh, from our listeners right now. So um, I'm just going to give this one to those two. So Jake Roberts will step on the foot of Kamala in order to break a hold. And Jesse Ventura says, you might say Jake found the Achilles heel. Okay, do with that what you will. Folks that believe that Jesse, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Jesse's all right. Jesse's good. Jesse's direct. Like I said, Bobby Heenan's a different style, and these are the kind of conversations that we like. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I don't think I'm yet convinced that he's better than Bobby Heenan, but I think he represents something different 
in this era. So, you know, fun conversations. I don't know if you ever uh, fed that back or if you just let it go. Any thoughts on that, Miz fan? Um, I mean, I can never tell anybody they're wrong if they prefer Ventura to Heenan because I think it is down to your taste. It's a different yes. journey that each guy is taking you on. I think you said it best when Jesse Ventura um, takes an uncomfortable straight line to the truth, whereas Bobby Heenan will jog around the block two times to get where yes. he's going. So if you want to take that uncomfortable straight journey, that's one thing. And uh, if you want to take the scenic route, that's another thing. So I don't know. And it's a time and place thing, too, because in 1987, yeah, you can probably say Ventura is better because he's the one doing all these shows. He's the one yes. making all the insights. Heenan is kind of the exception uh, later on. You know, we'll have, like, the 92 rumble of everything in that time and place where Ventura is nowhere to be seen in the WWF, and Heenan is really ruling the roost, and he's involved in everything. So um, it's, uh, it's a lot of different factors. I think they're neck and neck by any metric. And I think even, uh, I think it was Bender and Button in primetime who kind of came out uh, with Ventura a little ahead, but even they take time to be like, well, Heenan does this other thing, and he does it better than Ventura, so um, yes. even though, even when you pick one, I think inevitably you're going to come back and praise the other as well. If you are fair-minded, you will, and we have um, amazing listeners in that regard because, like you said, everybody said that, and I think it's, it's an acknowledgement of how good this era is, that there is somebody who can be in conversation that might be better than Bobby Heenan on commentary. Um, I think that it's acknowledging that Jesse Ventura was a forerunner and kind of did things like this when nobody else was doing it. And I don't think he gets enough praise for that. So I think it's a very fitting conversation. And the way that I view it right now, I think if someone's going to say something that is so impactful, this is the strength and weakness of Jesse Ventura that is so impactful. You never thought they would have said that it's going to be Jesse Ventura more than Bobby Heenan. But at the same time, if someone's going to be saying something that is off tune and just like, what the hell is he talking about? In the middle of this, he's talking about this thing he's doing that has no relevancy or he's just saying this uncomfortable thing. That's also going to be Jesse Ventura. So he's kind of got this tone deafness in a way that makes him like when he's the best, he's the best at it. And then when he's not, he's kind of way off base, whereas Bobby Heenan might not hit the extremes, I don't think, as much as Jesse but that's, he's not going to hit that, that highest reach or that lowest reach as much. So it's very different styles. And I like that we can do this, not only breaking down the commentary, but the heel commentators and seeing that it's not just insert heel commentator and it's all the same thing. It's very distinct. And that makes it um, it's another reason why this era is so good. For sure. And I would also say. When there is a heel doing something in the ring that, you know, the narrative would disapprove of, that Vince McMahon and Gorilla Monsoon would uh, not approve of, Jesse Ventura will say something that may convince you that that thing is not actually bad, whereas Bobby Heenan will say something that will enrage <laughs> you further. So <laughs> both of That's those good, things are valuable, and I uh, I like both styles. So I, I think there's just a lot of recognition on both sides. Absolutely. And I just wanted to bring out a shout-out to the people, because that's what this is about. The unearthing is simply the enlarging of conversations and not the shrinking of conversations. Mm. 
and that is an enlarging because of course Jesse Ventura is not going to have the same shine as Bobby Heenan because his career trajectory uh, changed. Bobby Heenan was around longer. He has more exposure. He gets more mentions. He's in more favorability with people who might give him that mention. So even though I may not have been the one that would bring it up or definitely put it on that level, I'm glad somebody did because there is going to come a time that Jesse's not going to be with us sooner than Bobby. So at least he's getting his shine in the era where he most deserves it. Oh, absolutely. And um, I feel like because Ventura has been at odds with, um, you know, the WWE with Vince McMahon yeah. for a long time, he gets a smaller chunk of the narrative. I, he's too good to be out of the narrative, but I was surprised when I went back to watch some of this stuff the first time how heavily involved he was. And now looking back, like, it seems obvious, like, he was the voice, practically, of the era. But uh, I just, I didn't know that, you know, when I saw Ventura and Heenan had so much overlap, I was honestly surprised. I was like, whoa, I didn't know that it happened. But it's like a huge chunk, and it's just uh, it's something that's not really thought of or talked of in the official WWE-sanctioned narrative. Yeah, and they complement each other uh, well in that. I think you mentioned it the other week. There was a thought, a, par- a thought of pairing Jesse Ventura with Randy Savage at one point, which would have just been... Yeah so intense and i have no idea how it would have turned out but yeah this is he is a mover and a shaker in this era and it is also i don't know how some of the other let's say 89 90 91 92 if if some will feel more cartoonish than others or more insert other word that i don't yet have but there's something that is that is fierce in this era that I don't think gets that that gets that kind of credit. Like there's something intense in it. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of that is Jesse Ventura's presence because you can bring out what whatever kind of characters you want, but Jesse Ventura as a heel takes this stuff as seriously as Hulk Hogan or Vince McMahon does as the super uh over the top baby faces. Like he's very serious about what's going on out there. Yeah, he will give you a grounded lens to look at it through, and uh, that's, that's very valuable, for sure. He might be... I've never done the elements of commentary. He might be the earth element of commentary. Hmm, maybe. That's an interesting thing to think about. What would Bobby Heenan be? Oh, you're the element... You're, you're the avatar. <laughs> I can't assign elements to people. I've been wrong before, so... <laughs> I thought he would be something of air and water, because... He he can take you to very high and wonderful places, but he also can man can he like maneuver and change shape. And that's the difference. So Jesse Ventura will not change his shape. Never. Bobby Heenan will change his shape. Yeah. And for the same purposes. They just have very different ways of getting at their goals. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. It's an interesting comparison, so I I want to keep that conversation going as we go. Uh, I do want to mention something that somebody I think Benjamin Button maybe mentioned. Um they may be neck and neck as commentators, but as a wrestler, Bobby Heenan is honestly better. And as a manager, well, did anyone ever do anything as well as Bobby Heenan managed? No, I don't think they did. So I will give some credit to my man, Bobby Heenan, there. Absolutely. I was going to let the conversation keep going until uh, you came around to that. Cause that was, <laughs> I thought we would have got that at the beginning. I was like, hey, respect. But, Glad you know. to oblige. Yes. So this is a matchup. Jake will uh, – Jake – We'll be on defense for a while because Kamala gets the jump. But Jake will turn it around. He'll lure him outside. He'll come back inside. 
He'll hit a knee as Kamala's getting back in the ring. He'll go up on the second rope and do a flying knee. And I will tell you one thing. I don't know if Jake Roberts is the most popular guy in the WWF, but the DDT might be. These fans love the potential of a DDT. Oh, man. DDT was just so ridiculously over. Um, really, because you'll see it for Arn Anderson, too, um, as you watch WCW TV, because he would use the DDT as his finisher for a good stretch. Yeah. Um People just love the DDT in this era, and it, it does uh, give a little window into uh, maybe some bitterness by Jake and by others of the era where now, you know, a DDT is nothing. You, you do a DDT, and it's like, okay, what are you going to do next? You know, it, there was a time when the DDT was just uh, such a killer, such a move that was so popular that it alone, yeah, it could be more popular than Hulk Hogan. Yeah. That's the thing with all of us, all of us as human beings is, a lot of times when we go on the offense and it comes out insulting whoever is not like us and everything that they do and how bad it is, when all that we really want to say but won't do it is, hey, I wish you guys would appreciate my thing too. Right, yeah. And I, yeah. I think there's, a, I think it's a very astute because it is so beautiful that he got the DDT over like this. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who does something else is doing it poorly or wrong. Mm. But, like, that's all of us because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be shamed. We don't want to put ourselves out there and it not work out. So instead of saying, hey, guys, could you appreciate what I did with the DDT and still maybe there can be a space for that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And it's just like and all these all these foolish youngins, like uh, 60-year-olds, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels running around with their kicks. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, a bit of cognitive dissonance there for sure. But still, it is tough, I think, because you look at what he did with the DDT and it's it's awesome, you know. He mm-hmm. built it up into this incredible thing, and um, now there's no value to it. So you you yeah. took something that was there that was great, and you took the value away from it, and that is kind of sad, you know. I get that, yeah. and I don't know. I still have no idea why he zeroed in on like Brett and Sean, but definitely there's some guys <laughs> you could look at today and be like, hey man, just like value the moves that you do you yeah. know like there's there, there's some wrestlers with a lot of issue with that i think it is and, and we don't yet know like i can see every error like i said we all just point the fingers at each other so like we don't know what the consequences for for the pace that we're doing is going to be like every error is going to have consequences for the way they did what they did the next error is going to come and do something either different and new or just opposite because that's what we do we just go Okay, the last generation did this. We're going to go the other way right. because we see the consequences. And then the next generation is going to be like, well, we're going to go back the other way because we see these consequences. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the consequences of living like the young bucks are, if there is consequences. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who knows? It might swing back the other way and they'll be 60 years old saying, you know what? All that psychology. We used to do flips. And by God, nobody cares about the flip anymore. <laughs> it could happen. You know, you never know. But then again, you have something like uh, in I'm watching a lot of Nitro and you always have Larry Zbysko like criticizing like Rey Mysterio. Oh, he's yeah. going to shorten his career. Well, Mysterio now still wrestling is older than Larry was when he said yeah. that and not doing anything. So sometimes, you know, and sometimes you don't. So it's good to uh, to temper your words because uh, you may end up looking a fool 30 years later. Yeah. That's a good point. Rey Mysterio, that's a man who just a symbol in every wrestling promotion almost it exists. Oh, absolutely. So that's not the guy to go after. Nope. <laughs> Doesn't age Honestly, well. 
legit not joking at all. I think the the splash that Kamala does, I I thought that was a beautiful splash. That is a ten ten splash. And uh, am I our our prof? Am I getting that right? Yes, our, our prof, prof. That's the one. Wrote three three articles on this one hour. This grand uh, geopolitical look. And I took two of his quotes. So I said, beautiful splash, 10-10, no joke. And he says, quite quite plainly and quite beautifully, a most accurate big man splash by Kamala. And that's what it was. Watch that Kamala splash, folks. It is nice. It gets him to win, by God. He pins Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, he does. Uh, Kamala, always underrated, always fun to watch. A guy who really put everything into what he did. Uh, the gimmick doesn't necessarily age well, but the work Kamala did does, in my opinion. What we're leaving Please. out of the finish is yes. uh, there's a little bit of interference, and that interference was done by Kim Chi. But is it Kim Chi? No, mm-hmm. it is revealed that it is Honky Tonk Man wearing the Kim Chi attire. And is there any better disguise to wear than Kim Chi? Because it will just completely mask who you are. Uh, and I Nobody love Ventura here selling the fact that, hey, maybe Honky Tonk Man was always kimchi, you know? So we yes. don't know. <laughs> that was such a nice moment. It was, yeah. And again, that's the, again, like, Jesse, when he hits, man, he hits, and that was one of them. Yep, absolutely it was. Honky Tonk Man's stupid jacket, and then he takes the microphone, thankfully. The microphone's not working all that well. <laughs> I thought he would sing more, and I'm glad he doesn't, but, you know, I, I, every time he takes the mic, I think he's going to sing, and so far he hasn't done it. Yeah, good point. Although, didn't weren't you on here saying he should be able to sing if he wants to, and that's no reason to uh, to go after him? Huh. If I said that, I need to think about it. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. As long as I can fast forward, then he has the right to sing. <laughs> well, there's the difference, perhaps. Um, I, I yeah. get you. I get you. I wonder what. I, now I'm wondering what he did in WCW because I. So far, I haven't liked him in either, but I think an objective opinion will say that he was successful in his WWF run, and he probably was not as successful in his WCW run. So I don't know if it's just different eras or if he was different or the booking. I don't know. because It's hard for me because, again, he's one that, as much as we're talking up this error, I, I, I haven't seen it from him, and I don't know if it's my own bias because... You can line up Honky Tonk Man, Jeff Jarrett, and I, whatever Elias or whatever his name is. <laughs> the Guitar Bunch. And, yeah, and they just they do the same thing for me, and, or or don't do the same thing, or don't do it for me. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, um, he's a guy who has a reputation for not wanting to do a lot physically, uh, even in his prime, which is probably right about now. I would say, based on what I know. Uh, seven years later, and not having wrestled a lot before that, because he will, after, I'm trying to remember exactly when, but after he is Intercontinental Champion, he's not really wrestling that much longer. Um, so his run is pretty short as a relevant guy, but it was yeah. successful in the WWF, and it definitely wasn't in WCW, because he was just around for a hot minute, he didn't really seem to want to do anything, uh, he got, I think, the TV title, which is a travesty, and then he yeah. left, and then they like went out of their way to bury him and how shit he was on commentary. So, mm. you know, definitely not successful in WCW. He was a man uh, out of his time, 
his time was very short, but he was successful in that time, and I guess we're in that time right now, so this is probably as good as it gets. Yeah, the, his IC title reign will have um, implications, so I think that's where he'll be most significant, and then he'll live forever in shoot interviews where he thinks that he was actually Hulk Hogan of this era, so, you know. God bless them all. We all got to get by one way or the other. There you go. Is the a carny will carny. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the lumberjack match is coming up. That will be Randy Savage and George Steele. It is built like the steel cage and every other gimmick match is the most dangerous thing you can ever get into. And Gene Arkelin <laughs> is super worried that uh, George Steele doesn't know what it is, so he might be getting into a dangerous match and he doesn't understand. And I thought he was trying to be helpful. By telling him, by asking him, like, do you understand what it is? But it was seen differently by one Ricky the Dragon Steamboat who shockingly decides to stick his nose where it doesn't belong in a very hot way and come at Gene Oakland and say, you are trying to confuse him, Gene. God, we were so on point in the WCW's Legacy Series. And I think sometimes we come up with these frames and we try them out and they are even truer than we even imagined <laughs> time after time ricky steamboat proves our theory that he was born as an angry old man all yeah. through his youth and his prime and uh right up probably till today he's an angry old man who will just be angry at everyone for every reason and uh, you can't really you can't get away from steamboat being angry at you so all you can do is kind of weather the storm it's an amazing moment because he's younger, fewer wrinkles, his head's not so big, but he's still behaving the same way. And this will be a night where one of the biggest storylines is that a heel in Randy Savage is almost favoring a babyface in Ricky Steamboat. And that's so unheard of. But on the same night, low-key, Ricky Steamboat, the babyface, goes after Gene Okerlund, the babyface. And we just don't cover that story. Yeah. Poor Gene, that's a hard job that Gene Erkelin has in this era with these personalities. Oh, man, it's, he should get hazard pay for dealing with them. Yes. He's been accosted by a snake. Yeah, George Steele rubbing and drooling on him. He's got Ricky Steamboat running up and something is not even his business, not his time to be on camera yelling at Gene Erkelin. And, and we haven't even gotten to him uh, in the little dark room with Randy Savage yet. So th right. there's, there's a lot that Gene Okerlund has to take on at this time. Absolutely. And this is Gene will be with Savage, but this is before the next time Gene is with Savage. This time Randy Savage is, what do you mean, former, uh, not owning that he's the former IC champion in this era? I think we got on the baby face, got on the baby faces a lot. But apparently this is an era where nobody admits loss, no matter what happens, ever. And I don't know how storylines ever progress because Randy Savage is still the IC champion. Bobby Heenan and Andre are still undefeated. So the show goes on and on and on. Uh, Randy Savage will chastise Elizabeth for saying right Randy instead of right champ. And then they will march off after Randy Savage says vengeance is mine. And Gene Okerlund will just be standing there shaking his head. <laughs> Gene Okerlund, who also says in this interview, he doesn't understand why Savage wants to fight Steel. This on the same show, where they're showing clips of Steel kidnapping Elizabeth and throwing <laughs> Savage off the top rope at WrestleMania. Just come on, Gene. You're bringing it on yourself sometimes. Yeah, that's true. And somebody, yeah. You know, you, all right, is he kidnapped? Kidnapped Elizabeth. I think that's even the words that would be used on the show. Uh he was at ringside at WrestleMania 3 and helped cost uh, Steamboat the championship. So why might he want to face 
George the Animal Steel, but we give George the Animal Steel an internal pass. And again, that's why I was confused because George Steel is laying his head on the, the jacket of Gene Erkelin and stroking Gene Erkelin with his head. So I thought Gene Erkelin was being rather comforting. But you know, you lose it whichever way you go. This is building up uh, what is meant to be, I guess, the, the blow off, the last match to all of this, supposedly. It's a lumberjack match. It's Randy Savage and George Steele. And folks at home, if you've never seen a lumberjack match, it's so simple. You stand outside the ring, and if someone falls outside the ring, you throw them back in. But if you don't know what a lumberjack match is, then do not feel bad because the people at ringside for this match, who are the lumberjacks, do not know what a lumberjack match is either. <laughs> Uh, lumberjack match is really uh, anything you want to make it, right? It's like it's like all these stories. Like this is an era where you can't just get on the internet and look up everything. So everyone gets to shout their opinion as loudly as they can, and maybe they can convince you, and you won't know better because you can't you can't really check unless you go out and maybe later you'll buy the VHS and you can watch it over and over again. You yeah. know, get it from Blockbuster or something. So get it from Blockbuster, <laughs> by God. In the meantime, yeah. yeah, just state your opinion as loudly as you can, and maybe maybe people will believe it. Although that's not really different now either, uh, even with the internet. So even when you that's can right. check things, this uh, strategy can still be effective. And this is just everybody. This is a lawless universe, despite all its rules. And uh, what you got is a bunch of people infused a lot of them, like the Bulldogs and the Heart Foundation are wrestling later in the night, and so. You're basically going to get a battle royal inside and outside of the ring as the matchup goes on. Oh, yeah. And one thing I did note. What's that now? I was just saying lots of personalities at ringside. Lots of personalities. (laughs) It's really overflowing. People tend to need to go outside the ring more in a lumberjack match. Have you noticed that? Uh, I have noticed that there may be a tendency to that, or are you just noticing it more because of the consequences? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Good point. Good point. Especially since Savage is a guy who uses the outside a lot. So again, this matchup privileges George the Animal still because Savage just lives flying in and out of, uh, out of the ring. He can't do that here. Absolutely. It's very, very Savage in this area to go outside to stall, to uh, do all sorts of uh, crafty things. Here's another thing. Randy Savage... Uh, ends up wrestling in his entrance gear a lot in this era. Um, there's a yeah. thing he would do on Superstars and Challenge, which, of course, is just squash matches, where he would come out and he would squash the guy without ever taking his gear off. Uh, but here you have the opposite, because he gets attacked in his entrance gear, and he ends up getting beaten up in that gear for a while at the start of this match. So, I don't know, Savage wrestling in his entrance gear is something that uh, is always in my mind, and I think it's a special little uh, piece of sacred ground that I like to see. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I noted still tossing Randy and his robe around because it, it is, you catch on, but it's also great psychology for people who don't think there's psychology in this era or it's just cartoony. Like, it is so disrespectful <laughs> to squash somebody with your outer gear still on. Mm-hmm. Like, that's about as disrespectful as you can get, and that is, Randy Savage is the king of disrespect. Um, I will give us one more uh, from LOP Forums. Our prof, one more quote, shout out. He calls Randy Savage that cauldron of seething excitation. Oh, that's great. Um, we, we talked a lot about, yeah, how fiery Savage is, trying to find the right words for his intensity, and that's a great one. I'm glad that our prop popped up again and that he linked those articles because I remember 
that he wrote them, but I didn't connect it to this show until he mentioned it. So it was great to revisit that. Great articles, LOPforums.com. Do check it out. That's my plug. Um, yeah, Venture. It also, with wrestling in the gear, like, it's the perfect way, and as you say, it's a piece of psychology to put over the fact that, like, does he even know he's wrestling in his gear? Like, this man, his mind darts in so many directions with such speed and intensity that, uh, you know, it doesn't stop for something mundane, like, I need to take my robe off. It's like, on fire you know when you're on fire you're not thinking about like what your gear looks like you're thinking about you got to rush to the next thing and seize that opportunity yeah i agree with that but I, and i also think though that he also whether it's the way he is with elizabeth the mm-hmm. way he is with gene mm-hmm. i think he likes to dominate everything absolutely and like there's a lot of that that can be problematic but there's also the flip side of that if you want to look at this as a professional wrestling um competition uh, to be whatever he is, I don't know if he's six feet one inches or whatever, to be a world champion following 1987 Hulk Hogan, you had to at least imagine yourself 20 times bigger and 20 times more important than maybe you actually were. So Randy Savage is just bowling over. It's hard to tell the human being from the character, and I think you'll get that later with Sting, but when you hear Savage like cheering him on, like there's so much, like you said, it's explosive, like, talk and you know even the way his self-talk is just maybe it's motivating it's also scary you know and the line between motivating and scary with Randy Savage is one that's hard to find sometimes <laughs> absolutely as uh, the man who eventually be called uh, the madness and yeah. uh, it's it's apt you know you don't always know if he is in control of his own actions but his goals are always the same whether he's mad or not <laughs> yeah good point and he, he kind of just, this is a match again, everybody goes in the ring, out of the ring, in the ring, out of the ring, like everybody's fighting. And Savage just kind of slips around, you know, catches an elbow on George Steele. He will get a victory over George Steele in this matchup. Yep. And I was, so, I was so impressed when Kamala beat Jake Roberts and Jake did not get a chance to attack him after the match. I thought, my God, something's changed. But guess what happens here? Jake Roberts comes back after Honky Tonk Man. So apparently... If you lose and you can't get immediate revenge as a baby face, you just go to the next segment and come down again. <laughs> there will always be time to get your revenge. Yeah, no baby faces losing without answering it uh, unless they are on the way out. So um, speaking of that, I forgot to mention, but I loved how offended Vince McMahon was to see Kimchi and Honky Tonk Man both yeah. at ringside. This was uh, – <laughs> quite shocking and uh, disgusting to him. Apparently, I feel like he was entertaining the idea that maybe Honky Tonk Man really was Kim Chi all along, so that made it not quite as bad in his mind and then made it ten times worse when he realized that he was fooled. Yes. I've always thought that Vince McMahon embodies, as the announcer, the brain level or capacity that he wants his fan base to be at. (laughs) Like the inability to think being shocked by things that are not shocking. It always feels like he is embodying what he views the fan base like to be ideally. Because then, whether it's booking in 87 or booking in 2020, all of it works because the fan base is just, oh, they did a thing, hey. And then, yeah, like, oh, good. Yeah, good. All right, so, no, they're not the same person. Yes, Jesse Ventura was joking. Uh, I'm starting to be... 
I think Vince is winning me over in this era as a commentator. I think I'm starting to come over to the side that you all are on. I like Vince as a commentator. Um, there is something almost a little childlike about him, and I think it's a great yeah. analysis that he, he kind of puts himself in the mind of his viewers, or at least how he thinks his viewers are thinking. Um, and uh, I don't. There's something that it's it's definitely like this boundless enthusiasm, yes. and I don't know. There's like I don't need him to be because yeah, he's got like oh what a maneuver, and people some don't like mm-hmm. him because like he's not naming the moves and he's kind of over the top. I don't know. I like that kind of announcer, you know, a, a Don West kind of announcer, uh, an old school Joey Styles kind of announcer that just like narrates with great enthusiasm and like their love of the product shines through and we talk a lot Vince McMahon doesn't want to be known for professional wrestling and I think that's borne out and yet you can tell especially in this time and place that like he is so proud of what he's done and he is putting like 110% of himself into it and I don't know there's something that shines through with that I like Vince as an announcer I always have it's also the right place and right time because this is another thing I will not why I cannot judge Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant on the work rate of the 1998 uh, release statement of what a work rate is because they were trying to do something different. Announcing's the same thing. Uh, if he there, when Jim Ross first comes to the WWF and that's in an era where I think the work the so-called work rate is is more of what we're talking about at least in some spots like. Jim Ross does not fit in. Like he's trying to call this just like technically, and you can tell like he is sinking as he's trying to do it. And I think uh, I heard. I think Bruce Pritchard told this story that the Undertaker said when Jim Ross came in, if he gets on the announce and starts talking about that, the Undertaker used to be a basketball player. I'm going to kill him. You know. <laughs> so you know you have to judge these things in the context that they exist, and this is an era. Where Vince McMahon saying, you know, being fooled by everything and being enthusiastic like that and not really talking about the maneuver because the maneuver is about seventh on the list of importance of things that happen is what fits and what makes sense. Absolutely. Two points on Vince. One, I would take Vince McMahon as commentator over the majority of commentators today and I would take his style and transpose it exactly to today and I think I would enjoy it just the same. Two, there's a lot of talk about how Monsoon and Heenan have great chemistry, and they have the all-time best chemistry of any commentary pair, in my opinion. Ventura and McMahon, they're like one tier down from that. They just have great chemistry together. They did supersize together for many, many years, and it shows. They just they have this great relationship where they play off each other very well, and I think it, it enhances them both, really. Probably McMahon more than Ventura, but it does enhance them both, I think. Yeah, that's such a good point. Because to me, the same way that I kind of parsed out Jesse and Bobby, Vince and Gorilla, like Gorilla is more on that Bobby Heenan side of style, and Vince McMahon is more on Jesse's style. So it's in a way, it's almost shocking that, that it falls out like that because it's not really an opposites attract as much as it is. Because while this, they're opposite in their opinions, I think Gorilla has a, I don't want to say roundness, I don't know what the right word is, but he has a uh, allowance and a good nature that the Vince McMahon character doesn't always have as far as, like Vince gives Jesse nothing. Jesse concedes like three or four points that baby faces, honestly for baby faces, and Gorilla will do the same thing as far as being 
It's like, yeah, it's like this, but you always think he has a smile on his face. Vince, I don't feel like has a smile on his face when he does. <laughs> yeah, Vince um, is very insistent as a commentator. He, he just kind of uh, barrels ahead forward, and he's not really there to have a conversation. Like, he needs to... Uh, who proclaim his view, and that will be his view, and you won't change his mind. Whereas uh, Monsoon, yeah, he, he's capable of at least conceding something once in a while. Yeah, I feel like Jesse and Vince are just sprinting. They're in a sprint. Whoever gets to the finish line, whoever gets the first joke in or the first biased opinion in, in the night wins the race. Uh, I love that they can basically do nothing but butt heads, but even with them, yeah. like there is this sense of, um, it's just fun because we've seen a lot of people who try to pick up the role of heel commentator and they're just argumentative and unpleasant. And we have seen babyface commentators who just like seem to despise the people they're working with. And it's terrible. I love just like the good feeling you get off commentary in this era, even when they're agreeing on nothing. Um, especially with Monsoon and Heenan, but even with Ventura and McMahon, you get a good, like, warm feeling off of this commentary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jesse Ventura flexes at the beginning of the show. Vince is kind of looking, and uh, it's very hyper-masculine, the two of them, because <laughs> we don't yet know there's a Mr. McMahon character who's going to do the same arm pose, probably with a bigger arm. But, you know, you just don't know who's lurking behind that Vince McMahon character. Like now, Once you know who's behind the, the guy playing that announcer, you understand more why Vince McMahon, the announcer, and Jesse get on like they do. Oh, man. And on the flip side of that, it's kind of amazing for me to think that these two did coexist for so long, knowing their personalities and knowing yes. how, like, how was the room big enough for both of these guys ever. Like, how was WrestleMania three big enough for them to both stand in the same building? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think it speaks to, yeah, just how willing Vince McMahon was willing to uh, let people do their own thing and use anybody who was good, who was the best at what they did in this era, which is something he would not always do. But in this era, he did it very well. Yeah, there's uh, such a thing to be said for like when you have to do something because two times WWF is just going to pop off uh, just kind of worldwide globally. And that's the era that we're in. And that's uh, the Steve Austin era. And one time this man is a little more vulnerable because he's trying to come up and he's trying to establish himself. And the next time he's trying to get his back off the wall. So both times he has to be agreeable. It can still be his vision, but man, if you're if you're taking off, like do what you're doing. Let your character shine. I've got to compromise. Mm-hmm. And there is such a difference between the Vince McMahon who has to compromise and the product that comes out of it, and the Vince McMahon who does not have to compromise. Yeah, yeah. Vince McMahon needing to give space to other people to do their thing is really when this company is at its best. I think it absolutely is. Okay, so Gene Okerlund sit down interview. Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant. Bobby Heenan neck brace, Andre the Giant beard. These are dark times uh, for the challengers coming out of WrestleMania 3. Absolutely. Uh, Heenan gives the story as he sees it. He says they did, in fact, beat Hulk Hogan. He says all the referees and the officials are out to help Hogan, to protect him. They show some footage of WrestleMania 3, and Heenan narrates it 
in a fairly hilarious way, saying, oh, here's Hogan staring down Andre, and you can't hear what he's saying things that we can't repeat, just terrible things. He's scared, <laughs> and he knows that he's going to lose. Uh, they show that moment, and as I promised, uh, this is a moment they're going to talk about a lot, where um, Hulk Hogan tries the slam early in the match, gets squashed by Andre and very nearly is counted for three. Heenan says uh, that was a three count. Everyone saw it. Uh, You have to strip Hulk Hogan or you have to give Andre a rematch. And I have to say the second um, of those demands is actually pretty reasonable, but uh, this is great and it's punctuated. And again, this is the Heenan Ventura thing because afterwards Ventura says, well, I called it when I saw it that, Hulk Hogan won, but now I saw that photo, that footage, and I'm starting to yeah. have doubts. And it's just, it's a great way to put over the other half of that heel dynamic. It is, and it gives more credibility because if it's Vince McMahon, he would have been saying on WrestleMania three that Hulk Hogan didn't really lose, you know. So having the credibility to say that night I said Hulk Hogan won, and now I see it differently, you know, that goes a long way uh, in making your point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ted DiBiase also, wherever he's sitting at home watching this, I hope after he acquired Andre the Giant that he writes Bobby Heenan one hell of a check. Um, Because think about the groundwork that Bobby Heenan Heenan is laying, is that every referee that referees Hulk Hogan matches is biased and paid off. And then think about what they're going to do to get the belt off of Hulk Hogan. So that is a nice little tie-in that will come much later. So the wheels are moving. It, I know from doing WCW, the legacy series that when you are in errors that are just fucking good, you want to sit down in that era and not let it in because you know, every error won't be like that. And we are in one, like I am anticipating Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan and the mega powers explosion. So much rich storytelling that is happening now and happening later. And it all is tangled up together. And that is hard to beat when you're talking about three, four, five years. And it's all tangled up in one knot. Yeah, absolutely so. It's a very rich era, and um, we have so much good stuff to come. I'm I'm very excited. Yes. We got the British Bulldogs taking on the Hart Foundation. Two out of three falls return for the Tag Team Championship. Mm-hmm. So I already gave my thought on the Hart Foundation being kind of overrated historically, and uh, at the risk of um, alienating even more of our listeners, I kind of question the greatness of the British Bulldogs as well, I've got to say. I think they have a better claim because they're very explosive and they're, they stand out in their time period. So I'll give credit to the British Bulldogs. But this is another team where people talk about, hey, greatest tag team of all time. Like, they're, they're contenders. And I don't know. Like, take this match. I thought, I thought it was okay. But you would think, like, with these names and with the reputation they have, that this match would be, like, a show stealer. And I didn't really think it was. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I, okay, there's two ways I can view this. Because I'll try to be... Ah, okay. They move fast. Like, they, they don't just walk in the ring, which is, like, different than most matches you see in this era. They actually run at times. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, revolutionary, maybe, in this moment for WWF. Sure. Uh, Heart Foundation, number one to me, whether it's their gimmick or something, their their whole little promos are garbage to me. That's just 
I think Danny Davis is the only one who's got heat. The other ones are acting like they are like non-functional and just ridiculous. So they don't do a lot for me there. In the ring, I say it's a good match. It's a good match. I don't see any of these as groundbreaking, like in the in, especially if you want to bring in the big picture of all time. Uh, Dynamite Kid, I've never watched outside of this WWF run, and because I've heard too many interviews of him being a piece of shit that bullies people, hurts people on purpose. Like I don't know if there's anything lower in professional wrestling than hurting people on purpose. Yeah. Like if you don't have that trust, you have nothing. And even last night, I, I needed something to go to sleep for, and I was listening to Mick Foley's book. And Foley, Foley got a WWF tryout, and he wrestled Dynamite Kid and British Bulldog. And it was clear, you know, he was like he didn't know what he was doing. Probably shouldn't have been there. He wanted to do his big elbow, you know, so the fans could see it. And but Bulldog, whether like humoring him. You know, let him do some things because it was just, I guess, like, oh, my God, look at this guy. And then Dynamite Kid got pissed off, apparently, at a thing happening and just went in there and just deliberately tried to hurt him. You know, yeah, he deliberately so, broke his jaw, I think. Yeah. Fully talks got, about how he had to, like, have his jaw wired shut or something. So and I think in a lot of ways, maybe one thing I don't want to take away, these guys mean something. <laughs> Like, if you are an American fan, you take for granted, like, oh, all these guys in this United States, especially back then, like, centered promotions. I think Dynamite Kid, uh, British Bulldog, Bret Hart, they all mean something for other reasons. Right. But I, my whole fucking life, man, just seeing Dynamite Kid in one context, my thought has always been this guy is insanely overrated. Mm. And just, it's like, just because you have a certain style... Like, to me, you get points, oh, you're different, but that doesn't make you revolutionary, and I just haven't seen, I don't see that thing that people, that people give him, so I'm kind of where you are. All right, yeah, um, I'm sure there will be people who disagree with us, and that's, that's yeah. fine, and I will say that um, probably what his best claim to be revolutionary is his, ma- his matches in Japan with Tiger Mask, uh, which are very influential, and I have my opinion about those two, but I won't go on and on about it. But uh, I'm glad you said it because I think part of Dynamite Kid, it really depends to some extent on how you experienced him first. Did you see him wrestle first or did you kind of know about him first? And I knew about him first. And like you, I've heard just the most terrible stories about this guy being just the worst person to ever be involved in professional wrestling. And you think about the ground that covers, like just the awful things that he did. So it's hard for me to then turn around, starting from there, and say, like, oh, but he's, like, a really fast wrestler. You know, I was like, eh, yeah. does that really matter to me, starting from this ground? Yeah. But if I'd seen him wrestle first, I, I don't know, maybe it would be a different thing. Purposely trying to hurt people, to me, there, I am one of the biggest, you know, I can see why people get pissed off at me, because I'm like, because I've been on the extreme of both sides of everything in my life. So I'm always, there's some truth here and there's some truth there, right. but... Even I have cutoff lines, and one of them is if you are a professional wrestler who intentionally hurts professional wrestlers, I don't know how, I don't know what the other side of that argument is. Right, yeah. And even, yeah. I'll just say, yeah, watching um, a lot of British Bulldog squash matches on Superstars on Challenge, um, they're very rough, and I think it's very clear at some times that Dynamite Kid really has no regard at all for the people in the ring with him, and that yeah. that's very hard for me, to get on, for me to get on board with and say, hey, this guy 
is a great wrestler. Well, no, it's really your number one job to not hurt other people. And yeah, yeah if, if you're not only disregarding that, but sometimes actively trying to hurt them, then that's, that's very tough to get over. It is. It is. And like, I was a huge Chris Benoit fan. And yeah. one of the things, you know, if there was a through line of Chris Benoit that, you know, in retrospect is hard to look at, it is the this level of sheer intensity that he had. Yeah. And if he modeled himself after anybody, he modeled himself after the Dynamite Kid. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he was not the same personality. He did not do those horrible things. But, like, there's something, and you can cut me off and you can disagree. I might disagree with me, but it's just a little weird. There's someone who's great weakness was he was way too intense and way too serious modeled himself after somebody who was acted like a five foot tall voided monster <laughs> who just lost his fucking mind every matchup so sure yeah and of course you know you can't mention benoit without mentioning that eventually he did something much worse than anything dynamite kid did um yeah obviously yeah so but it's weird too because that i'm on the other side with that because benoit i watched for years and he was probably my favorite wrestler at one point and even though he ended up doing just the most horrific thing, I don't view his matches the same way I do with Dynamite Kid. And part of that, yeah, yeah is because, yeah, he's not actually trying to hurt anybody, for God's sakes. But also, you know, it's just a question of, like, your first impression makes a lot of difference, I think, to how you view these guys. It does. And I, I made the point. So if you disagree with me, awesome. But I made the point I've only seen Dynamite Kid as the British Bulldogs right. because there's only that much rustling that's done in this era. Like, what Benoit does, evolving anything to Dynamite Kid, is like to me 20, 30, 40 times. As far as the Benoit I saw versus Dynamite Kid, because all I see with Dynamite Kid, he runs in and like does some kicks and headbutts and like like attack, 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 tag out. You know, so Benoit is so much more evolved than that version that I've seen of the Dynamite Kid. So I don't know. I, I just feel like it's also, I don't know, age has, but that's why I think maybe you're, you're a better viewer than a lot of people because a lot of us, like you have branched out so much, and you like different styles. Where a lot of people, it's either this style or this style or that style. But for a lot of us, it feels like the thing we came to like was the thing, and then the thing before that was a little too outdated. Mm, yeah. And it's so weird for me that where I started watching wrestling, like the Rockers were a little before my time, but yet Shawn Michaels somehow never felt old. Like in his beginnings to me, whereas Bret Hart, who was just t- a tiny bit before him, always in the, in this era just felt a little like old where I couldn't connect in a way that I could connect with some of the people that came after Bret. So I think it's stylistic too. You yeah. Gotta figure because, yeah, the Rockers were like a very um, progressive team in terms of incorporating things that weren't done in the WWF very much to that point, whereas uh-huh. Bret uh, was very old school. He always was, he always will be. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed about Bret and others, like Savage is like this, even when they send Bret Hart off the ropes, the way his body falls into the rope to go off of it is signature Bret Hart. Mm, yeah. yeah he's very, that's one thing that mm-hmm. it's so interesting to me to watch the wrestlers who are so um, aware, attuned to what they're doing, that even the way they are sent off the ropes has a signature to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bret Hart is a very distinctive guy. He's got a lot of movements that really could only be Bret Hart. He's got the yeah. chest first, um, turnbuckle bump, which I don't think he started doing yet, but probably will soon. Um, he's got a lot of things that are signature Bret Hart. 
And it's just one more thing that he understood very well, because I think um, whatever you think of Bret Hart, you have to admit he understood some things about pro wrestling extremely well. I will just say this. We have, a, we have some of the best uh, listeners, and I think it's partly because of the way we do the show, because you got, you got to kind of get what you put out there. If we were just a debate show that and we both attacked each other like the Dynamite Kid on some vulnerable rookie <laughs> Uh, that's the kind of feedback you would get. But if we're very conversational and we get conversational. So uh, we are definitely in a minority here with the view on the Hart Foundation, on Early Bret Hart, on Dynamite Kid. So yeah. if you are one of the people who have that note, the Hart Foundation were maybe their top five, top ten all time. Take the time to tell us why. <laughs> and if the Dynamite Kid is as good as he's been said, and I'm not even right now, I don't even care about non WWF stuff. But like, if it shows through in WWF and we're not seeing it, explain to me why he should get that kind of shine that maybe he's not getting right now on the show. Because I really, right now, it's not. I'm not biased against any of these people. They just, this is so hard to explain because I do think there's gonna come a time like the matchup that Bret Hart gets out of say Diesel in '95 is so rich to my memory. Right. So I think there's gonna be a time where nobody is better than Bret Hart in the ring. I think that's going to be true. But there was a time, and this is holding up for me as a kid and now, that I would have been definitely one of the people who was wrong. Like, I don't see this guy wrestling with Jim Neidhart and say, my God, you know, we can get Hulk Hogan out of here anytime we want to because we got our next world champion right there. Yeah. Like, I just don't see it. So, like, you know, let me know in this era what we're missing when we're watching these matches because, for me, this is a good match. It's fast-paced. It is a... It's a revenge match. It's a babyface comeback match. I think British Bulldog was pretty good, but I think like Luger and others, I don't think pro wrestling was his what he cared about the most. I think it was more of a job to him. So that, I like the British Bulldog. I don't think it's that serious to him. I think you kind of see that in a way, you know. So yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't really know um, the personal story of the British Bulldog that well, aside from his dealings with Dynamite Kid, which were. Like, I feel bad for the guy, you know, even though he was kind of yeah. a dick also, but not to that extent. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'll be interested in uh, seeing those responses if we get any. And I'll just say for Bret Hart, I don't think it was apparent yet. And I remember watching Goose this era, there did come a time where I thought, okay, now it actually, now I'm seeing it, but we're not there yet. So yeah. we'll have to keep a close eye on Bret Hart and see how he comes along. Yeah, he'll have a really rich IC run, and I know we're going to get on Sean a lot about, and rightfully so, about the way they dominate, but Brett's going to have a lot of guys who love him because of his legacy in the business, and he's going to get put, he's going to have one of the best runs of being put over uh, that you could ever have in the history of wrestling, and I think when he's in his IC run that he's already, like, he's already there as far as, like, you can tell he's going to be an upper, right, upward riser, but I do wonder, I, I have a feeling, and I might be wrong, that there would be some people in the world, maybe they listen to the show and maybe they don't, who would say, nah, nah, even back then, even back then. And if there are, I would like to know kind of what the, how you spotted in Bret Hart during the Hart Foundation run. Yeah, it's a great question, because from what I remember, by the time the Hart Foundation splits up for good, um, it is apparent, definitely by that time. But yeah, like, when, when does it happen for you, I guess is the question. So let yeah. us know out there. So this matchup, you know, number one, I was so shocked because you, this is how good the WWF is at this time. I know everything that can happen in a match and after a match. Like the rules are never spoken, but they're so like re re repetitive. Mm -hmm. And one thing I knew is that British Bulldogs can't win the belts. 
But then they do win the belts. And I'm like, oh, my God, that happened. I was surprised by something. And I'm very entertained by a show that can't really surprise me, and I don't know why that is. But then, you know, we find out it might be the dumbest ruling of all time. Yes. That the, the British Bulldogs are not the tag team champions, even though they pinned the Hart Foundation because they won the first fall by disqualification. And you can't win the belt on a disqualification, even though they're not winning the belt on a disqualification because they pinned them. But the belts are going to be taken away. Jesse Ventura, who is the perfect man to be the bearer of bad news, <laughs> lets us know that you can't win on a DQ. And so the British Bulldogs are actually not the tag team champions, despite the fact that they pinned the Hart Foundation in the third fall to win the belts. Uh, Ventura was definitely the right man to deliver that news, but what stupid news to deliver. Like, so uh, I groaned when I heard that, because I was surprised too, and I'm like, wow, I did not remember that yeah. the British Bulldogs won the t- and then they bring it out, and they're like, oh, well, the one of the falls was a DQ and not the deciding one, but just for that, and I'm like, so what? Why did they even keep wrestling? After, you know, what was the point then? You know, the stupid rule that nobody knows about that you just made up on the spot. Um, I was very irritated by that ruling, so not the best. Absolutely. Why wouldn't the announcement also be at least be disqualification? Now the belts are no longer on the line. Right. Yeah, like it, it felt like it felt like the Bulldogs didn't know. It felt like the Hart Foundation didn't know. I, nobody, Vince didn't know. Vince, who, no. who is supposed to know like all this stuff? So yeah, Vince knows nothing. This is true. I I think it's gonna be fun because I, I I've told you about this I think before, but man, when is it? It's somewhere maybe in '92. Maybe it's Jerry Lawler, so that would be 93. I don't know who it is, but somebody, I think it's Bret Hart wrestling. Somebody in the, somebody in the Hill announcer makes a point of how fitting something is because you know who he wrestled for this or wrestled last year or wrestled for the belt. And Vincent Man just screams out a name, maybe the British Bulldog or something else, and it's the wrong name because that's not who the person's talking about. And that's not what happened. And then the other guy has to let him know. <laughs> so. The Vince announcer, if he doesn't do anything, he intrigues me because I don't understand how much of his stuff is, like, gimmick or how much is he just this guy who, again, maybe history doesn't matter to him. And, like, you know, so it's just the richness of the moment. But it really felt like in that moment, and I'm remembering it from a childhood, that's how much it stood out, is that he had no idea what pivotal thing had just happened or happened in, in the history of his company, but the random other announcer did. So. Uh, that's uh why do I feel like that could have been very genuine on the part of Vince McMahon? Uh, something about his personality makes me think that uh, maybe he really didn't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I just have that felt sense. That's my felt sense, too. And, you know, in a way, I, you understand. Like, his vision, he has the greatest vision for professional wrestling, maybe, of all time, if it's done if, if all things come together perfectly and then if all things don't come together perfectly you start seeing the the dents and then the dents the dents that you could not see are big enough like to destroy the whole structure and you're like how in the world if i stand right here i can't see them it's this beautiful thing i stand over here and like the thing is a complete wreck you know it it's an amazing it's amazing because i am running out of excuses with myself that everything that i hate about the last 20 years in some ways, is not that different than what's being enacted right now, but yet the viewing of it for me is different. The the it matters differently. It feels differently, 
And so I'm just I'm very confused as I knew I would be going into this WWF journey. Yeah. My sense, my felt sense of Vince McMahon has always been he is all instinct. And when his instincts are spot on, they're great. And when they're off, too bad because like it's very hard <laughs> to change this guy. I don't think he you know, he's not a planner, he's not a learn from history guy. He's got his instincts. They've served him well the majority of the time, I would say, like, based on the success he's had. Yeah. And when he's off, he's just off, and I don't think you can persuade him. So it's different when you have, in this era, guys like Pat Patterson, guys like Gorilla Monsoon, guys backstage who can kind of influence him, whereas today, I don't know if anyone can influence him because, you know, like, he's been around longer than all of them. Like, this is the time where he's around all these people who, like, work with his dad or they work in other places, and, like, you know, like we said, he's trying to build something and he kind of has to go with what other people think. And he's got people there who can kind of give him the good ideas, you know, in the past 20 years, I don't know if that's really the case anymore. So I don't know. There's a lot you could say about that, but that's my instinct anyway. This is absolutely, absolutely. I would never have done all these years of podcasting with anybody else. Because the one thing I want more than anything is put on the table the intangible, intricate, temperamental, personality, ways of being human in the world and let them count for something. And that was so astute because most of us, for better and worse, are not like Vince McMahon of that pure, raw instinct. And his father, and because of his own success, he got this grand stage to just let out let the instincts of one being just play out and in a way I think all this larger than life monstrous like wonderful terrible stuff just all originates out of the gut of one human being and then we're sitting here breaking down all these things that just appeared in the gut of one man and that is so mind blowing yeah. the way that it plays out it Good is stuff. yeah there's no wrestling company exactly like the WWF WWE for that reason, no company, I think, on this level has originated so much out of the mind of one guy who is part genius, part, I don't even know what to call the other part. Yeah. But uh, that other part is not a genius. But, man, it's it's something. There's a, there's a weird, crazy energy to all of it. I almost think Vince McMahon is someone who is 24-7 out of touch. Oh, yeah. But the vision that he puts forth is either so groundbreaking that the whole world comes where he is, or it, if we don't go where he is, then it's just like a naked, out of touch, <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? No, thank you. Right. But, like, all of it is just kind of... Because all of this is before it's time, and, like, there are people who wanted to murder this man for the vision that he was going to implement upon pro wrestling. Sure. So he's definitely not, you know, say... And even Hulk Hogan, like, I was listening, and, you know, who knows what is true... I don't say that just rhetorically. I think you have to say it when you talk about Hulk Hogan. Damn. But, you know, Hulk Hogan claims, you know, he went to WWF first and that he had a falling out. This man senior, he said, told him he would never work in that company again. So then he gets a call. That, he gets a word that uh, Vince McMahon wants to talk to you. And he thinks it's Vince McMahon senior. He's like, oh, you changed your mind since I've been successful in this. And then makes the phone call and it's Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon Jr. So, like, immediately... And this is something you have to give him credit for. Immediately, it's just going to be like, we're going to do this different and unlike anything. And how many people 
would want to say, like, I've inherited something pretty good, and I'm not going to mess it up. Like, I can just sit on this thing and, you know, exist. But from from day one, it's like, let's just revolutionize everything. That's a, it's, it's, it's a level of risk that, to me, like you just said, makes one both a genius and one both dangerous and scary and un- sometimes unhealthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then you got, like, Gene Arkeland and Hulk Hogan are in the back. And, again, off of everything we just said, Gene Oakland's larger than life. Hulk Hogan's larger than life. Uh, everything that happens is larger than life. And they'll all be in different companies, and sometimes they won't be larger than life. So it's just we're just in a perfect mix right here. And Hulk Hogan is going to defend, you know, the shocker. He thinks that he actually did win the match. I'm like Bobby Heenan. And uh, victories are always sweet, but – he took on the strongest power in the universe, and he won, which I don't know where that ranks him, but there you go. <laughs> For sure. Um, my favorite, and I say favorite with quotes, uh, part of this segment is that I felt like Hogan was, like, he's very much the other side of the coin to Bobby Heenan here, because he's telling as many lies as Heenan did, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not really better than Heenan as a babyface is supposed to be. He's out there saying, oh, well, he had the stare down and the giant was scared of me. And, uh, you know, I had the power of Hulkamania and all this stuff. And it's, you know, both sides say the same of the other side and neither side is telling the truth. So, um, yeah, it's like politics more than good and evil. Yeah, no, I was going to say we all can learn something from that. That's it is. It's not good and evil. It is my side versus your side. And I will say what Hogan is so clear. The thing that keeps shocking me in this era, I think Hogan has a lot more credibility because he's so full of shit, just like he is in every character he'll ever be. But he, he's more honest. Like whether it's being like dominated by Andre in the Battle Royal, or in this one, he'll say that all the Hulkamaniacs know what happened, and he says something like, "All of Andre's fans feel a different way." Right. <laughs> and it's 1994, and he and his fan base is shrunk in half. He'll never admit. I, maybe I or maybe I missed it. I don't know, but I don't remember him constantly. Oh, like half the fans are for Ric Flair and half of them are for Hulk Hogan. You know. Yeah, this is an era where Hogan still has one foot in reality. Um, and we talk about larger than life, but uh, we're, there's a time when Hulk Hogan, yeah, will fully become the cartoon that he once yeah. was, and there'll be no room for anything else. And every single opponent is like a child murdering. Uh, like yes. horrific serial killer monster, no matter who no, they are. In this era, like, they're still man. people, like, they're huge, yeah. larger than life people, but they're still people. Yeah, that's so right. Because you get a little bit, like, to me, every time he says that nasty giant is a way to dehumanize Andre the Giant. Yeah. You know, but then there's also these admissions, like, he's the strongest power in the universe, and, like, Andre's fans feel like this. And so it is a. It's a fairer Hulk Hogan than you're going to get later, and yet it's at a time where he seems like he wouldn't have to be. But maybe maybe there's something that can be learned from his success came from a time where he did stuff that later would surprise you that he allowed to do, because whether it be the desperation, and I don't know, Eric Bischoff, I was listening to him throwing, you know, he, he kind of just listened to Hulk Hogan and letting Bruce Beefcake get a shot. You know, but like 94 Hulk Hogan it has so little stock compared to this one. But 94 Hulk Hogan will uh, just take so much more than this Hulk Hogan in some ways. And yeah. I don't know. It's been a breath of fresh air to know that the Hulk Hogan, who was over the most 
deserved it a lot more than the Hulk Hogan who wasn't over as much. Sure. I think that even falls over uh, into Hollywood, but especially yes. in this era. Um, it's perspective again, and we've talked about it more than once. It's like once you have lived through 1987 as Hulk Hogan, the, the Hogan of 87 hasn't lived through Hogan yes. of 87 yet. After this period, after the late 80s of Hulkamania, your perspective, I think, becomes so skewed that you probably can't really see reality anymore. Yes. But in this period, while it is still happening, while he's still living it, like, this Hulk Hogan can remember the Hulk Hogan of, like, 1982, where nothing is guaranteed, yes. and he can make allowances, but I don't think the Hulk Hogan of 1994 i can even remember that time even existed that is so good this is rich like we're, we're hitting on something here because there's a there's a bit of a baby in this hulk hogan and it's so strange to think right now that the gimmick that put hulk, hulk hogan over to the moon which is conquering andre the giant might be also the thing that kind of uh, divides the hulk hogan that remembers who he is from the hulk hogan who doesn't because andre the giant is an undertaker like boss. He precedes Hulk Hogan. He's the locker room boss. He's not gonna be put. He's not gonna put Hulk Hogan over unless he chooses to. And so when he fully conquers Andre the Giant, is there anyone left ever who has that kind of sway in a Hulk Hogan relationship? So I don't know how much it changes or when, but this is a this is almost the last uh, guard. Before there is no longer guard. And it's the same thing we said about Vince McMahon. Like, how great can they be when they have to compromise and play ball? But then you set, you set up anyone in this world. And I don't care what their beliefs are. I don't care what they stand for and don't stand for. And you tell them that you are greater than everybody and everything else. Whatever you say goes. Everybody has to listen to you. You're always right. You have all the power. And watch what happens to them. For sure. Piper left. Piper's a guy who definitely wouldn't have taken yeah. Hogan's shit, but he's gone. Andre's beaten Savage. Savage will give him a challenge, and we will see that over the next couple of years. So I think Hogan knew, or at least thought, he still had to be careful in this time, and we'll see uh, Ultimate Warrior come along. I feel like, and this is just off the top of my head, I feel like when Hogan and Hulkamania survived getting beaten by Ultimate Warrior and really took no impact from that, I want to say that is the time where Hogan realized, oh, there is no threat left to me. Like, this will never go away. Like, Hulkamania really will be around forever, and I can just kind of do anything. You know, I don't have to be careful anymore. Because you see, there is some care taken, I think, up to that point. And even after he gets beaten, you know, infamously, came back in the ring, made sure to protect himself. <laughs> after that point, I don't know if he ever really thought that way again. Because, like, he survived that, he survived all these challenges uh, to his fandom, and he was still fucking Hulk Hogan, you know, the most popular thing on God's green earth. So, I don't know, I think maybe that was a turning point. We're going to have to watch and see if that's true. Yeah, and there might be two very nuanced things in what you said, because with Savage, he also befriended, like, the, Hulk Hogan coming back in the ring to give the belt to the Warriors so everybody watches Hulk Hogan leave, the, the, the ma that masterful, horrible stroke, like, with Savage... He makes him like the mega power. So the savage, savage can be stand next to me, but he always stands next to me in relationship to me. So he's already setting that up. And then, like you said, he leaves to go do movies. His career might be over, but he completely 
passes the torch to the ultimate warrior. And so I think your point is right, but I think there might even be another layer in that there was a Hulk Hogan who nobody could surpass because of how popular he was. And then I think there becomes a Hulk Hogan that no matter how much he clearly has fallen and his stock has fallen, nobody can pass him simply because that, you know, they're not as good like as as a fallen stock Hulk Hogan. <laughs> because he did hit that point for so long. Like the credibility it, he's built up in that time, like it can yeah. never go away now, uh, at least not to some extent. And that's something like I don't know if that would even be a subconscious thing, but if I am ruling everything for better or worse and everybody in the world is making more money because I am breaking every record, that is one thing. If I realize that, oh, man, my stock has fallen like five times from where it used to be and the fans still don't want the ultimate warrior. Like then I can I'm dominating, but I'm also insecure. Sure. Yeah. And then I think it gets uglier. And so we might be able to blame everything, all the horrible things that happened in the 90s off the Ultimate Warrior being so horrible. But we'll have to wait and see on that. <laughs> and man, the Ultimate Warrior got the, the – I, he got a clear, like, ready, set, go. And we'll, we'll have to wait till we get to 90, but we'll see what the Ultimate Warrior does with that. But that's a hell of a handoff he got. I definitely want to examine that because I feel like when I watch through – even though Ultimate Warrior is like one of my least favorite people on a number of levels, but still I felt a little bit like maybe he didn't get the full go-ahead that you would think he did, but I want to examine it again, so we'll get there, we'll go through all that, and we'll we'll judge when the time comes what we feel about that. Alright, so you got it. Like We are just, there's so much, so much to happen, because these are, these are, all historical times in pro wrestling. Um, Ricky Steamboat is going to wrestle Hercules for the IC title. Ricky Steamboat confirming my fire lens, uh, fire element. He says um, the dragon is breathing fire. Then he says this dragon is um, what does he say? Oh, this dragon is ready to burn. <laughs> and to me, that is the motto that he uh, just embodies. Ricky Steamboat. He is ever ready to burn. Oh yeah. <laughs> What has Hercules done? Nothing, but he's still ready to burn. So we got <laughs> burn him anyway. It's fine. <laughs> yes, and we got Randy Savage, one of the first, I think, of the the horrible watch the monitor, watch the TV, but it's in a dark room with Gene Urkel. And... I said, yeah, like the it's definitely not the modern trope of where you like sort of stand sideways and like give the side <laughs> eye to a monitor, as you know, just that kind of like awkward trope that we have now. Yeah, it's Savage with like a little TV in the back with Liz and Gene and it's like a dark room and it's got weird lighting and um and yeah, Savage uh, is incredibly animated and will remain so all through this match and he he surprises Gene Okerlund by showing that he wants Steamboat to win so that he can come back and beat Ricky Steamboat himself. So that's an interesting twist and I love when a heel uh, which Savage definitely still is at this point, yes. does something surprising, uh, but does it for reasons which completely make sense with their character. Absolutely. I, I said for five seconds, we almost had sophisticated storytelling in this era. <laughs> and, uh, Savage will make sure to do away with that by the end of it. But it's it's so interesting that it's almost like, 
again, we have established that nobody really has honor or character ethic in, in, in this world. <laughs> like, it's a world void of honor and character. Some people get to wear that flag in more ways than one, and some people don't. But at the same time, none of them are decent. Like, none of them take losses well. None of them ever let feuds end. And it's almost like when Savage praises Steamboat, the wrong words came out of his mouth. And he does, like, he's not hearing them, and Gene doesn't know how to even process them. Because it's almost like, oh, you're a good guy now. Because, not because you've changed anything about yourself, but because you praise someone who is on that other line. Yep. Yeah, this is such a lawless world with this fake morality. <laughs> and then, meanwhile, Hercules, and wrestling. <laughs> Again, everything that I will hate the last 20 years, like, wrestling is so secondary this is like i said total non-stop chaos you forget half the time a match is going on but but for some reason it works here and so there's a hercules steamboat match going on in the background of a randy savage um confessional <laughs> yeah we get a picture in picture of randy savage doing the most animated running commentary i think i have ever heard like this guy yes. uh he, he's he's burning as well he's burning yes. with thoughts about this match that he has to share <laughs> I don't think there's anything scarier than a long-running feud between two two people of the fire element. Uh, you know, what this tells me is this feud was probably supposed to go on a lot longer than it did, yeah. because I think by the next show we do, it'll pretty much be done, and they'll never really get the big rematch that it feels like they were building up to. So that's that's a point against the WWF. It's a point against Vince McMahon for not being flexible enough to let Steamboat spend a little more time with his family as requested and instead throwing him down to the bottom of the card. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, this is probably my favorite part of this whole show, this match, this segment, everything that's going on here. It does make me sad that it's not going to pay off to anything that we will get to see. Yeah. So, so much agreed. Like we have some weird turns, steamboat leaving and getting, Kind of, you know, I, to me, that's the equivalent of Vince McMahon. If you sneeze, you offend Vince McMahon. Like, if you want to spend time with your family, obviously, you don't care about the product. Right. But come on, of all people, Ricky Steamboat, you've got to understand, is going to have his way, those things. And so we ruin a feud that could keep going. And then we'll get to it when it comes. But there's a weird thing where Honky Tonk Man uh, claims, you know, he was supposed to drop the belt to uh, Savage and he refused the job because, like, someone told him, the Saturday night show was going to be the biggest thing in the world. You can't lose on it. And he threatened, he pretended like he had a deal, I think, with WCW if, if Vince wanted to try to make him lose. And so, like, it seemed like they were already set to go with Savage winning the belt at WrestleMania. But then at the same time, if Honky Tonk Man hadn't done that, they were going to something with the IC title and, and Savage. So, you know, there's some weird stuff in the mix. And this is just one of those moments. So talk to me about why you like this, why this was the highlight for you. Well, it helps that uh, Ricky Steamboat and Hercules, I think, is a good match, even on paper. Yes. And we've praised Hercules already. I think it came across well here as well, that this is an above-average power wrestler uh, who does have a lot of energy, who is underrated. And then Ricky Steamboat, of course, one of the best wrestlers they have in the whole company, maybe in the world at this time. And then you add onto that the layer of Randy Savage, cheering for the guy that he hates, the guy he yeah. tried to cripple, uh, but doing it in this kind of like neurotic way where like he can't like this guy, but yet he wants him to win and he's very conflicted. 
and he even comes down to ringside and uh, his presence is felt there and you've got Heenan like yelling at Randy Savage so you have heels who are conflicting with each other. There's just a lot of good stuff that goes into this. This was the highlight of the show for me. Yeah, I, I think you got a great contrast with uh, Hercules and uh, Steamboat, and they have a good match. There's an atomic drop on the outside, and in this era, again, the most basic move in the world, an atomic drop, and Jesse Ventura says, that's the move that sends you to the chiropractor. <laughs> and I thought, Fuck. Like, I saw the atomic drop in a way that I have never seen it before sure. because, man, you know, you are now, like, taking time off of your job and, like, trying to get fixed because somebody gave you an atomic drop. And this is definitely, in that way, they, they make so much out of everything that happens. Hercules has Bobby Heenan with the chain with some victories. He has some credibility, so you don't know he's not going to win the belt. Savage is just disorienting to watch. Whether he's in the back, listen to the way he talks to himself. It is frightening to listen to. And then he comes down and he's standing on the outside and he's that unhinged. And so the job of a mystic, if, if, if there's no other job, is to talk in very basic terms that mean something more than what they sound like. So when I talk about someone being a fire element and you're like, what the hell does that mean? Like, Think about the sayings that we have. Like Vince McMahon says in this match. I think of Randy Savage. He completely lost his cool. He's a fucking fire element, so of course. But think about the sayings that we have about, oh, they lost their cool. What does that mean? And you just got these fires raging, and you cannot take your eyes off of it because it is dangerous. The potentials out there between Steamboat, Hercules, Bobby Heenan, The Chain, and Randy Savage... Like you do not know what's gonna happen because of the core character of each of these people. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and Savage, I so conflicted within himself about this match. The match ends in a disqualification, um, and you have Hercules who's like choking Steamboat with the chain that he holds, and Savage is there. And he's very conflicted about this. Yeah. Like, he just was on this track of supporting Steamboat. And now the match is over. You see Steamboat getting beaten up. And I don't think he knows. Like, with with his brain on fire, which it yes. always is, I don't think it knows which way to run at first. It's like, do I, do I help Steamboat or do I help beat up Steamboat? And both of these options seem equally appealing and I think it paralyzes him a little bit for, for a moment here. Yes, and it, 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 if we are that disoriented by the frantic motion of Randy Savage, a momentarily paused Randy Savage might be the scariest thing that's ever existed. <laughs> Indeed, and I even knowing, like, in broad strokes, how this is going to progress, like, I didn't know exactly what he was going to do. Like, is, is this the start of him? Is he going to support Steamboat here? Because he was already kind of on that track. Is he going to show respect? Is he going to attack him? Uh, go after him? Continue their feud in that way? Eventually, after much teasing, Savage does drop the elbow on Ricky Steamboat. So he has not completed any sort of turn just yet. But you could see some consideration in his mind. And uh, I think... The next event we talk about will be in October, so he has five months 
to play this out in his mind, and we'll see where he lands when we come back to him. Yeah. You want to talk about the magic of Ricky Steamboat? He is in between in a world where the in-between does not exist. (laughs) Because when he says Steamboat is the winner to himself, which is just so goddamn good, (laughs) that is not a heel thing to say. And then when Hercules comes to the floor, he wipes his sweat and slings it at Savage. Yeah, yeah. So you're not one of us anymore. Mm-hmm. So then he goes in the ring, and when he pauses for one moment, he's already turned into a baby face. But then he attacks Steamboat. So, but he can't turn heel in a way because, the, like I said, there's no morality. It's, it's what team are you on? And, and and the heel team just disowned him. And the baby, he's not joining the baby face team either. So Savage has, like, just ejected himself from the slot that he's in, in a world where people are only in their slots. And instead of like moving from this slot to that slot, he is just like a ball bouncing around that orbit. And again, you know, it almost takes Savage to create that. And then man, you cannot turn your head away from a, uh, Randy Savage, uh, free from his slot and just like bouncing around the WWF universe. And nobody knows quite where he's going to land. Indeed, eventually he will land in an extremely drawn-out handshake with Hulk Hogan, but we have some mm. ground to cover before then. So Savage in an interesting in-between place, in a place where there is not a lot of in-between to be had. Yeah, speaking of, uh, not a lot of in-between to be had. <laughs> oh, God. Gene Erkland is with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who unfortunately is a new face for Saturday Night Main Event viewers, and I thought, man, if he wasn't. <laughs> But alas, and this is a this ran, this hacksaw looks like it's about eighteen and wears a uh, kind of a headband around his head. So I don't I don't remember all I ever remember, you know, is trunks and two by four. But we're getting a lot of blue jeans and and uh, bandana uh, hacksaw. Yeah. He is on this ridiculous um, mission to not let Volkov sing his anthem, and it's as petty as it sounds like it is. I will just really quick say. That the biggest way for me as a viewer to give me to make me sympathetic to the other side, no matter what the other side is, is to tell me that you get to decide whether they get to function or not. <laughs> like if that man sang his song, everybody in that building was gonna boo him, and then the match would go on. Right. So like, what in the hell are you afraid of? <laughs> All right. By the singing of the song, will he convert people away from America? E- even if that were true, that would. Kind of speak to the weakness of America, I guess. So yeah. not really. It also speaks to Hacksaw might not be America. You know. <laughs> That's really what it is, yeah. Um, we get so yeah. Duggan is at ringside. He's he's in the the audience because he's not supposed to be down here, but he's down here anyway. Oh, he proclaims that he hates everyone who doesn't love the USA. So it's always good when you're bringing a message of hate of hatred. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Um, Nikolai comes down and he sings the song anyway, fearlessly, despite all of these threats yes. against his life. Duggan looks extremely confused and then runs in to try to commit a murder. So how is Duggan the good guy? He again yeah. is like, this is the land of the free. So I hate you and you can't do the thing that you want to do. You're not free to do what you want. So it's just even Ventura is like, if this is yes. the land of the free, why can't he sing? <laughs> so Hacksaw Jim Duggan to me has always been Hulk Hogan if Hulk Hogan didn't have talent and credibility. <laughs> uh, 
oh, nobody bugs me quite like Jim Duggan, especially in this era. So, yeah, yeah very I obnoxious. Agree. I will say, too, that it's such a different world because if Vince McMahon, who owns the company, was the commentator now and making an argument that Hacksaw is allowed to carry a two-by-four, jump over to his desk, <laughs> rail and attack wrestlers and go back to his seat because he bought a ticket that to me opens up um, a, a hell of a case for what anyone who buys a ticket is allowed to do uh, <laughs> in a WWF show yeah no kidding uh, wouldn't make that argument today for sure Yeah. so Hacksaw is just out of control um, nonsense and I think Volkov you could say that he did it fearlessly yeah and I agree with that, but it's also he just kind of did it like he always did. I don't think Hacksaw, I don't think Hacksaw's noise even kind of reached him. <laughs> you know, you may be right about that. Yeah, That's Hacksaw looks thing. Nobody hears good. each other in this era. I don't think <laughs> everybody's just they're, they're going to do what they do, and you can't really affect them one way or the other. <laughs> yes, that is what I was saying uh, either a week or two ago. Is that they everybody has one or two things, and then reiterate, reiterate, reiterate. Right. So if you like someone in this era, you're really going to like them. If you don't like them, chances are you're never going to like them. <laughs> because all they do is, like, double down. Yeah, you're okay, right. Okay, yeah. so. He sings. He's going to sing. You know, you could hold a gun on him. He'd probably still sing, so. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, Can-Am versus Volkov and Sheik, by the way. Uh, Yep. And uh, this is a – I, I kind of like this. This is a little nod to wrestling um, not – being predetermined is that they kind of save some of these lower card matches for the end. And the implication is always like, if these other matches go long, then you know that it'll be what it'll be. So a little less um, obvious that everything is timed out. I kind of appreciate that. Yeah. And I think I heard Bruce Pritchard also say in the late night shows, you kind of figure that people are going to go to bed at a certain time. Yeah, so I'm sure. I'm sure. You put on the people that they're actually going to watch, and then you, at the end, at the end, you get the people who they assume everyone is going to bed on. So, <laughs> I will say one thing. How about the Iron Sheik as a former champion? He he sure didn't mind putting over other people. No, no, he didn't. Um, he's one of these, you know, these transitional champions um, of this era. Like you were a champion, but you also sort of weren't. You were just like holding it for a second. So someone else could win it. But even so, yeah, like Iron Sheik, certainly very over. Uh, and uh, he, he, he didn't have a problem doing his job, that's for sure. Have you heard the story from anyone other than Hulk Hogan that Iron Sheik was offered $100,000 from the AWA to, uh, to break Hogan's leg in their title match? I don't know if I have or not. I'm definitely aware of the story. Um, but as you say, it may just be a Hulk Hoganism. Uh, it's It's... One of his more credible lies, if yeah. if it is just a Hogan thing. It's so smart though. Like to me, if he didn't do it and was offered it, like one thing that's coming out of this for me, and I don't know. I know Sheik is outrageous. And I don't know what people think about him one way or the other. But <laughs> in this era, he is he's very he very much matters. Sure. Like he put over Hulk Hogan. He probably made a lot of good money wrestling Hogan after that. So he was actually paid off. For doing the right thing in that situation, because again, Dynamite Kid or anyone else did like breaking people's legs and shit like that. No matter what the era is, that is just not sure, the right yeah, thing. Yeah, tag team champion, probably main event at house shows, definitely yeah. did some good business. And now he's like, to me, he's always putting people over, and it's like, you know, it's, it's impressive. Like to me, he he is like carrying, he's carrying the load and doing the job 
of a, of a heel of a certain rank in this, and he's doing it well. So mm-hmm. I just want to shout out the Sheik. We don't talk about him much, so you know, points for him. Fair and enough. I think- yeah. Soon, I don't remember exactly when, but soon the reason that we don't talk about him much uh, will pop up because he and Jim Duggan will be caught in a car doing cocaine together, um, and Sheik will be fired, and Duggan will disappear for a while. So. Um, Man, so he on top of everything else he did, he also almost gets rid of Duggan. Yeah, I know. It kills me that Duggan's not the one who who disappeared for good off yeah. of that. But yeah, what a hero. <laughs> okay, pitch me for five for, for for a few seconds on what's great about Cat Am Connection. Uh, sure. It's two words: Rick Martel. Um, yeah, okay. uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Tom's like he's fine. He's along for the ride. Rick Martel is a babyface, though, is, like, the most fired-up man that ever existed. Like, every time he's in there, um, I just feel like the whole place is going nuts. He's got this thing he does, and it's so simple. For some reason, it fires people up so much where he's just standing there, and he's, like, moving his arms, like, come on. And, like, people go nuts for it. I go nuts for it, like, 30, 40 years later. So, Rick Martel... He, he's known mostly as the model, and I think he does a very good job as the model. But Rick Martel, the babyface, is incredible. I watched this guy on top of AWA as a contender for and eventually as the world champion, and the dude was phenomenal. And I wish he could have cut a promo because I think WWF would have used him more as a babyface if he didn't have that incredibly thick accent, which, of course, meant he had to become a heel sooner <laughs> rather than later. I think I prefer him as a babyface. I think you would be, if you've really actually watched him as a babyface, I think you'd be crazy not to prefer him as a babyface because he is one of the most natural babyfaces in the ring that I've ever seen. I can't wait to watch some more Strike Force because, like, the pairing of Martel and Santana as fired up babyfaces is like a gift from God to my mind. Mm. Um, yeah. So, no, Can-Am Connection is great purely because Rick Martel is great and because before the Rockers, I think they were raising the bar. You talked about yeah. like, oh, you can actually run instead of walk in a tag team match. Man, these guys yeah. never stop running. Yeah, they make the Heart Foundation. The Heart Foundation are doing a jog uh, in comparison. So, uh, I know nothing about working out, but I want to make this comparison. So I don't know if it's resistance or something else, but the idea that let's say when you curl – like a dumbbell you're not just exercising on the way up which is the obvious thing but you should put tension on the way down even though you don't actually have to and rick martell does a fucking drop kick in this match where it's so beautiful not even for the delivery of jumping up and making contact but the way that he flips out of the drop kick on his way back down it's just such poetic motion and it's wonderful and it's just something to look at and I get why people get excited about Rick Martel as a babyface. Absolutely. His matches with Nick Bockwinkle for the AWA title are some of the best of the 80s to me. So, yeah. All right. All right. So we're coming to the end of this. But I want to make – here is Vince McMahon and all his babyface privilege and all the obnoxious nature if you're on the wrong side of these arguments. So Jim Duggan has his seat at ringside. And the match, as matches tend to do, see the uh, Lumberjack match – Spills out to the floor, and um, that leaves the Iron Sheik, who is, like, wrestling with his opponent on the floor. And Vincent Man says, he's doing it right in front of Duggan. 
as if anything that happens in the rest of the night is justified because they dared have their offense on the floor in front of Duggan and, and to antagonize Jim Duggan like that. Yeah. To merely exist in front of Jim Duggan is yeah. offense enough to allow him <laughs> to come in and cause a distraction and let the Can-Ams win. And the, 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 the Sheik and Volkov, they didn't even do anything illegal in this match, in this whole match, I don't think. And uh, No. Duggan just just cheats because he's a cheating ass crack. Yes, exactly that. And on top of that, he was two seconds away from causing another disqualification for the babyface. Sure, yeah. So that didn't matter either. And then we will end the show um, by also by putting over our listeners who have been praising Jesse Ventura because Jesse Ventura will tie this whole chaotic night up in a bow. When he says, I can't believe they didn't call this qualification. And that's Joey Morella. That's that same referee from WrestleMania 3. So ties the whole thing together. Uh, the most chaotic night somehow gets put up in a bow there at the end. Any mention of Joey Morella is great with me. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, actually Gorilla Monsoon's son. So uh, he catches a fair amount of uh, comments from commentators who maybe want to rib Gorilla a little bit. Um, Gorilla talks shit about him all the time too, and so. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, there's there's something to that for sure. Uh, always a little bit sad because he did uh, pass away very prematurely in a car accident. Um, fortunately, that's many years away, so we'll still get to yeah. see him uh, do a lot of stuff as a referee, as uh, really one of the most important referees in the company that people uh, never really talk about. So I love recognizing referees and definitely going to do it with Joey Morella, who was always very good. Joey Morella was my favorite WWF referee as a child. Ah, I love and, to hear it. Ah, I love it. Yeah. I like Nick Patrick in WCW and I like Joey Morella in WWF. And when he died, like that's another one that mm-hmm. you don't even know what, like, you don't know a referee can die of all things. Yeah, you know? sure. And, and you turn on the TV and, and you hear that and, I don't know why, but it was like I mourned the death of Joey Morella as a child. So he he matters a lot in my fandom. I think he matters a lot in the constitution of the history of the business because of like what we're seeing right now with this WrestleMania three controversy. So shout out to uh, Joey Morella. Shout out to Gorilla Monsoon. Shout out to all of the coded language in, in the eighties WWF that goes on all the time. Yeah, I always thought that was so sad um, that he not only died but he died at the time he did because. Yeah. Um, you know, Gorilla Monsoon was still in the WWF, uh, but a lot of his support system had left. Keenan was not there anymore. You know, a lot of the old people were gone, and I just think that must have been... I mean, to lose a, a kid at all must be so hard, but to do it when, yeah. like, your friends and family are maybe not even around as much as they would have been, I don't know, yeah. always makes me very sad. Especially that family, because yeah. the WWF uh, Alliance... You know, they were, they were so bonded, the folks that came out of this era. Yeah. And Gorilla Monsoon, you know, is so loyal. And I love Gorilla Monsoon. Like, we need to definitely put him over uh, when the time comes. Not just for everything he did in the business, but even, like, I listen to Jim Ross. Like, everybody hated Jim Ross when he came to WWF. And sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad. And the only person, the only person that was kind to him at the beginning was Gorilla Monsoon. Mm-hmm. And if he was there to, like, fill anybody's job, it was Gorilla Monsoon's. And that was the only person who was kind to him. That's uh, very good to hear. Gorilla Monsoon, maybe my favorite play-by-play guy ever. Um, And uh, I think he's great. And I hope when the time comes, even late in his career, like, 
he did stuff with Steve Austin, you know. Yeah, Vader. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope we get to put a spotlight on that too, because really, right down to the end, I think uh, he did a lot of great stuff. Absolutely, man. History, families, legacies. It's so, it's so amazing that just because like history tells us that this stuff is supposed to matter. Mm doesn't mean that we come back and watch it and believe that it does. Right. So it's a hell of a thing, I think, at least to be able to come back and witness this stuff and be like, my God, it holds up. Mm. And so this this is a pleasure. And I hope hope people are enjoying it. Uh, this is a Saturday night's main event coming out of WrestleMania 3, coming out of one of the most historical moments. And then we are moving to what will be one of my personal favorites. I am a sucker for the one-night world title tournament, and that's, that's a line trajectory line we're going to be getting on sooner than later absolutely so before we get there next episode will be saturday night's main event again this time from october 3rd 1987 leading into the first survivor series we're going to see paul orndorff newly turned face again taking on king kong bundy wow yeah yeah that'll be a fun one uh we have the heart foundation defending the tag titles against the young stallions that, that fresh-faced young team. We have Randy Savage fighting the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental Championship. Mm-hmm. We're going to see some big things coming out of there. We're going to see a Hulk Hogan title defense. We're going to see a lot of good stuff on this next episode. I am so looking forward to Orndorff and uh, Bundy. And it should be made plain, too. Orndorff suffered an arm injury that would not really allow him uh, to compete the way that he needed to. So... That's just another wild card that as over as he was in this era, if he had not had his issues, like how he would have played out and all of this. You give me a Orndorff Savage feud at the right time, and I'm, boy, I'm there for it. Yeah, it's funny. I never even noticed until someone pointed it out that you can see one of his arms is a lot smaller than the other, yeah. and that's due to, I think, some nerve damage or something. He couldn't work it out <laughs> in the same way. But, man, if you would just watch like for the quality of his work, I think he would never even think of it because he is yeah. just so great at what he does. I'm going to have a lot to say about his face turn. I'm going to have stuff to say about stuff uh, that will not show up on Saturday night's main event, but is very near and dear to me. So I- I'm particularly excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if some of that stuff's difficult to find or not, but and I don't know if I, I can see it all. But if there's any like a, a, a segment or two you want me to watch, just let me know. I, I will see what I can find. Uh, the Paul Orndorff Rick Rude feud is kind of lost to history mm-hmm. as far as like being on TV in a meaningful way. Um, but I will try to find some of it because it is the feud that kicked off Orndorff's heel, uh, face turn, and it is a feud that has a lot of really uh, fun stuff in it. So I will see what I can dig up. It sounds like a perfect pairing. So. <laughs> Doesn't it just? Oh, I'm excited. Okay. Rick Rude's Rick kind of to Paul Orndorff what the warrior is to Hogan. Like, you know, this leaner, even more cut version of like what the last generation was. So I can see where that would cause some problems. Absolutely. Uh, so, so uh, we will talk about all that and more next time. Anything else about this episode we want to cover before we wrap up? Nah, man, it's just a chaotic show. Hard to take notes on, but it was a wonderful show and I hope folks enjoyed it. Absolutely. So, and remember there's no rules and no morality in this era. Everyone just yeah. does everything they want to. Uh, that's great. I love it. Uh, thanks for listening. I am on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gent. Uh, give me a shout. Give me a follow anytime. Uh, also check out 
the other great podcast we have on LOP Radio. A lot of really great quality stuff out there right now. Also, uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com and LOPForums.com. Also, uh, a lot of great conversation. I really hope the people are going to check out the forums right now because uh, this lockdown, as obnoxious as it is, has the added benefit of creating a lot of activity in there. Uh, so there is even more great conversation than there would normally be. So I hope that people will take a moment to check that out. A lot of great stuff, a lot of great columns dropping right now. we got a tournament going on. Do check it out. It's great stuff. That is all we've got. So until next time, Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared Undiscovered creature Combo, please. That's four juicy chicken fingers. We'll start cooking.
Cookie Butter Texas Toast tastes as good as it's looking. Fresh coleslaw and crispy fries you won't be skipping. And our secret cane sauce you'll want to keep dipping. Plus, our lemonade or iced tea made fresh today by me. Yo, 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 here's your chicken to go. Wow, that was fast. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, one love. <laughs> 